Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. I'm going to speak this morning from, I'm going to use the title, From Death to Life in Christ. From Death to Life in Christ. The scripture says here, Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. Many times we focus so much on the coming out. And when I say coming out from this passage, he said brought them out from there. Where's there? Egypt. Egypt. What happened in Egypt? It was a place of oppression, a place of hardship, a place of bondage, if you will, a place of darkness. Or in contemporary times, Egypt is a type of the world. So for them, he brought them out of Egypt. For me and you, he brought us out of the world. Amen? Egypt and the world represents death. But hear the scripture again this morning. He brought us out from there. Or you can say, he delivered us from the world. Or he brought us out of darkness. Amen. Or he delivered us from death. Amen. All of them are the same. But was that his goal? Was that the only goal? Was that his aim? Is that the chief or the crown of his achievement or what he wants to accomplish? No. He brought us out from there. We came out of darkness. We came out of death. Why? That he, not me, not you, not Moses, not the pastor, not the bishop, that he, who is the he? God, Jesus. That God and the Jesus who brought me and you out of the world because we could not bring ourselves out. Amen. The God and Jesus who brought me and you out of darkness, who delivered us out of death, the grips and the throes of death. Hallelujah. That God now says, I am the one that I'm going to take you in. So he brought us out that he might bring us in out of death into life in Christ. Everything happens at the speed of Christ. Amen. We say this, we need to say it over and over. It happens only at the speed of Christ. Amen. If you read Romans chapter 1 verse 3, if you read this in the uh, New Living Translation, please give that to me. Romans 1.3. It defines the good news in a very unique way. And I'd like to share that with you. Romans 1.3. NLT, please. Thank you. The good news. Say the good news. Good news. Is about his son. End of story. The gospel or the good news is about his son. Who's his son? Jesus. 
So if you remove Jesus, we'll have nothing. I'm saying this over and over and over because this needs to sink in. So the good news that Paul preached, that we are preaching, is about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the good news. So the gospel that's going to be consistent with this good news has to be about Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, and who we are in Jesus now. That's the three dimensions of the gospel. It's about Jesus, his finished work, what he has done for us, and who we are as a result of all of that. That's the good news. So he brought us out in order to bring us in out of darkness or out of death into light or into life. So, for these Hebrews, and I'm going to this scripture because it's, it's foundational and we're going to go to the New Testament, in, New Testament in a minute, but it's just so easy to see what God is trying to say to us. Okay, let me, let me give you, give me First John chapter 3. Verse 14. First John 3, 14. And then I'm going to come back to the scripture in a minute. Now go back to my New King James. Thank you. Thank you. We know that we have passed from death into life. Exact same thing we just read. The difference between the two scriptures, in Deuteronomy, Jesus had not gone to the cross. So he brought him out that he might bring them in. But here in this case, it's an accomplished deal. So now, John is speaking with authority that we know we have passed from death to life. So I want to ask a question. Is that correct for everybody in this room this morning? Is that correct for everyone that's listening through uh, audio or streaming? That we have passed from death to life. <laughs> Very th- tricky question. If you're in Christ, positionally, yes. But experientially, I'll doubt to say that everyone is living in life. Positionally, when Jesus went to the cross and gave up his life and rose again from the dead, you and I, when we believe on his name, pass from death to life. In theory. Positionally. But functioning on a day-to-day, today, today, today basis, many are hanging in the balance. Many believers are at best zombies. Not because Jesus has not done the work. He's done the work. But there are certain things you and I must know in order to begin to experience this life. Oh, okay. Let me take off my jacket. Go to work. Thanks, Harriet. I believe in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said to the Jews, he said, for ye search the scriptures. He said, search ye the scriptures. 
For in them, or in the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. He said, but they are those that testify of me. Give me verse 40. The next verse. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So the point I'm making this morning is not just good enough to know about Jesus. You brought some death into positioning where you can have life. But if you are going to enjoy that life and have that life and see the manifestation of that life, you've got to come to him. He is the giver of life. That's what the Bible describes from John 14, 6. Um, the way, the truth, and what? The life. He that has a son has what? Has life. Amen? Amen. So let's, let, 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 let me back up a little bit now. Now, going back to the Hebrews. They came out of the rigors or the bondage or the oppression or the darkness or the death of Egypt. How many of us know from reading the scriptures... In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there are only a few or a handful of those folks who came out of Egypt entered the promised land. What happened to the rest? They came out of Egypt, but they never entered into life. They all came out, the same blood and the Red Sea. All of them came out through the power of the blood. All of them went through the Red Sea. In other words, they were baptized. But only Joshua and Caleb and the wilderness babies entered into life. I'm sharing this because through these stories, we can have, we can see the examples that should be able to instruct us so we do not make the same mistakes as they made. Amen? Amen. God had done everything. It was a God that delivered them in Egypt and said, I'm taking you to a promised land. In fact, let, 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 me, let me read a couple of those scriptures. He brought us out to take us in. In where? Promised land. Let's read verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God's promise was not, uh, uh, it was not difficult. They knew. God said, I'm bringing you out, taking you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Amen. Now, give me chapter 11, verse 10 through 12. Same Deuteronomy. Let's, let's look at this promised land. He brought us out to bring us in. Where is he taking us to? A promised land that flows with milk and honey. That milk and honey by itself. People in the village that suffer, they don't know anything about milk and honey. Milk and honey as a phrase it's intended to convey a life of comfort, abundance, prosperity, milk and honey. People who are starving to death in the desert, they don't see anything about milk and honey. Look at what God says. For the land you go to possess, 
is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. This is important. Let me bring it to us where we are now. The life you and I are trying to live, the life in Christ we're trying to live, is not like the life we used before Christ. Be mindful of what he's saying to us. So God is reminding them, the promised land, which by the way is not heaven, the promised land is a, spiritual, is a place of spiritual fulfillment. So God is saying, the land I'm taking you to, this promised land, this place of spiritual fulfillment that I'm taking to, is you cannot compare to where you came from. And by extension to you and I, the life we have in Christ Jesus cannot and should not be compared with the life you lived before you came to Jesus. That's the point he's making. The land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. What happened where you came from? You sowed your seed and watered it by food. You did everything in your whole life before Christ by our own strength, by your own effort, with your own righteousness, with your own resources. Where I'm taking you is not like that. I'm trying to make a point here. When I make the point, it'll be all over. But I need to build up to it. You cannot compare your life in Christ with your life outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, you are the only resource. If you didn't do it, it didn't get done. If you don't call for help, you don't get it. It's your own effort, your own strength, your own performance. That's how everything was done before Christ. So now God is saying, where I'm taking you to, this new spiritual experience cannot be compared with where, it's warning them. Don't compare it to where you're coming from. And by extension, warning you and I. In Egypt, you did everything physically. Verse 11. But the land which you cross over to possess, the land where you and I are living in now, in Christ, is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. Verse 12. A land for which bank takes care of. No. A land which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are what? Sometimes upon it? Always, Always upon it. From the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Look at the contrast is given. He's given them pro and cons. He's telling before and after. Before, you did everything. But where you are going, where I'm taking you to, I am the one that's going to not only do everything, I supply all the resources. I pray this morning that we will really get what God has sent to us. Because as a believer, I can be a believer, love Jesus, born again, and still be a zombie. Dead on arrival. Dead man, dead woman walking around. Why? Because the moment I choose to continue to use my resources, my senses, my judgment, 
my education, my heritage, my patterns, my routine, my performance, and resources that are human to try to live this new life, you fall on your face. It's not possible. Even though he has positioned you and I to be in life, we are still choosing death. By the choices we make every day, every moment, every minute. Are you guys understanding this? Is it? So now, let's go back to Numbers chapter 13. Remember, we're trying to go from death to life. It is only in life, the life in Christ Jesus, that we find fulfillment. Only in Jesus. Numbers 13, give me, uh, uh, give me verse. Let's go to verse 13. No, 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 not verse 13. Verse 27, I'm sorry. Verse 27. Background. So remember now, he brought, them out, he brought them out to bring them in. So they got to the border. They got right close on to the promised land. And Moses said, you know what? I have an idea. Twelve of you guys, go spy the land. Go spy it out. And come back and give us a report. Let's see if this land is what God said it is. <laughs> it was one elder from each tribe. All 12 of you, 12 tribes, one leader each, goes by the land and bring us a good report back. They went and came back. Verse 27. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit. So what they saw confirmed what God said. But they didn't stop there. Watch what the Nasta is saying. Let's go to verse 32. Okay, okay, verse 28, verse 28, verse 28. The land is flowing with milk and honey. They should have stopped there. They said, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. Verse 32. Verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that divorced its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Enoch came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. What happened? They saw what God said. The land is flowing with milk and honey. And this is the food. We have proof. They should have stopped there. From that point on, they went to start using their own resources. They began to compare their natural resources with the resources they found on the ground. Statues, men of stature, fortified city. We are like grasshoppers. Who told them that? They found themselves as grasshoppers because they were reduced to using their senses rather than believing what God has already said. Folks, I'm telling you, this is where you and I struggle every day. You face a situation at home, 
at work, at school, and you are trying to judge that situation based on what you are seeing. You are trying to judge it based on what you are hearing. You are trying to judge it based on every other physical thing that's going on around you rather than just park where God has said, serve in love. Or Galatians 5 series says, faith walketh through love. Immediately you and I begin to discern the situation, naturally you are walking in death. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Or in other words, they are not physical. But they are, they are mighty through God who pulls down strongholds. So what I'm saying to us this morning is we cannot live in life, rule and reign in life, as long as we continue to employ natural human resources. Our natural human resources will fail us every time. Every time. So yes, we've passed from death to life. But the way we manifest that life and enjoy the benefits of that life is you and I need to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And that's, it's, it's a lesson of a lifetime. We never graduate. But at least we know we're in school. We never graduate. Now, one last thing, and then I'm going to move on very rapidly. What does that promised land look like? We already know God gave them the comparison. In Egypt, you use your physical strength. Where I'm taking you, I'm going to be the one doing it. So what does it look like? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. So it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land of which you sow, the same land, okay? Which you sow to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. To give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Look at the emphasis. God wants them to know where I'm taking it to. You didn't build it. You didn't build it. Verse 12. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. This spiritual life that Jesus is inviting you and I into is a life which we had nothing to do with it. God did all of it. That's why it's a finished work. Houses full of good things which you did not fill, hornet wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Who does this? Wait a minute. In 1960, Brazil moved its capital to Brasilia, a virgin land that they built from the ground up for years. And then finally, come 1960, it was ready, and they moved the capital from Sao Paulo to Brasilia. But notice what they did. They did the work. The government of Brazil physically, literally, found a virgin land, cleared the land, began to build infrastructure. And then they said, this is our new capital. December 12th, 1991, Nigeria did the same thing. Why are you guys laughing? Ah, <laughs> uh-uh. Do you carry a Nigerian passport? 
December 12, 1991, after about 11 years in building, Nigeria felt that Lagos was too, too congested, and they began in the 80s to build a virgin land, totally virgin, in the center of middle of the country. Put infrastructures there. You know that I said that very carefully. <laughs> Buildings and all of that stuff. And then moved the government there. Now, I'm saying this to, for, to make a point. In both cases, these human governments told to build before they moved. Here, God said to Israel, you don't have to build anything. I'm taking you to a place that's ready-made. Full of houses which you did not build. Wells you did not dig. Vines you did not plant. Who planted them? God did. I'm just bringing you in here to enjoy it. Make that comparison. Everything that's available to you and I in the spirit did not need your involvement in preparing it. God did all the preparation, made it ready, and said, come. Come and enjoy it. The only hindrance is, do we believe him? Galatians chapter um, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 Let me find it first. Paul is speaking to the Galatian church. And he told them that it is only in walking in the spirit that they will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. I said then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Now, everything I've said so far, this is the climax of it. The only way you and I will not continue to look at our circumstance, natural environment, the natural things that's going on around us, or perhaps employing our human resources to help ourselves. The only way we avoid that is walking in the spirit. That's the only way. Now, to go back to Israel, there was no way they would not have failed because they did not have the spirit. No, you guys did not hear me. The reason they saw the Anax and the giants and the fortified cities, they were men and women who were void or did not have the spirit. Therefore, all they had was their human resource. So they were doomed to make the mistake they made. Now, the good thing about that is the Bible says God allowed those things to be examples for you and I. So you and I, armed with the spirit of God, God says, now, let the Spirit help you to live the life. Because apart from the Spirit of God, you cannot do it. So Paul is saying, okay, leave this, leave this, leave this. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. 
and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. It's not, they, listen, you cannot walk in the spirit and the flesh at the same time. It's not possible. You are either in one or the other. You are either in death or life, even as you sit here right now. You cannot do both at the same time. When you're walking in the spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. When you're walking in the flesh, you're not walking in the spirit. And both antagonize one another. Both are contrary to one another. And the Bible makes it absolutely clear in Romans chapter 8 that so then, those that walk in the flesh cannot please God. Why is that? Because when you're walking in the flesh, faith is not involved. If I'm, re- if I'm using my human resources, how much faith does that take? You slap me, I'm going to slap you back. There's no faith in that. Teeth for tat. I'm reacting to your teeth. Teeth for tat. There's no faith involved. There's no faith involved. I see a new refrigerator at Best Buy, costs $1,500, I get my credit card and go buy it. There's no faith involved. I'm not waiting and say, God, what do you want me to do? No faith involved. I'm using human resources. Human strength. So those that walk in the flesh cannot please God. And the Bible says Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anytime we do anything that is not of faith, the Bible says what? It's sin. It's very complex. But when you think of it to the logical conclusion, when you're walking in the flesh, you're sinning. Yeah. But the important thing about this is, it is only the life in the spirit that brings the manifestation of everything Jesus into our lives. This is why we must master this. Now, now, let's ask a couple of questions. When we became born again, you and I received not only the Spirit of God, but we also received the nature of God. Let's go to Romans, 5, Romans 8. Give me verses 5, through, verses 5 through 8. I've got 14 minutes. I need to be quick. So I'm going to continue this on Wednesday. There's no way I can finish this tonight, today. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Did you say that? Carnally there, translated fleshly. Did you say that? Every time you and I speak something in the flesh, do something in the flesh, we just, we just minister in death. To be fleshly or to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritual minded is life and peace. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How many of you said this morning, I want to keep on living in the flesh? Let me just see your hands. <laughs> ah, nobody. Good. I'm with you. I don't want to keep on living in the flesh either. And we have some examples in the Bible. Very bad ones. 
I don't have time to go into them right now. So then, what's this flesh thing we're talking about? What, what is this thing about the flesh? What is it? What is it? Can we make it any plainer? Can we make it any simpler? Can we fully understand what this means? Because as believers, whether we experience life in the spirit depends on whether we're feeding the desires of our flesh or not. Okay? Now, Galatians 5.17, go back there for me, please. Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Give that to me in the NLT, that same verse. Thank you. Look at what the NLT says. The sinful nature wants to do evil. This is trickish. Let me warn you. What I just showed you now is trickish. In New King James, it says the flesh. New Living Translation, it says sinful nature. That's the reason I'm making this point. What you just see now is an erroneous translation. The believer in Christ Jesus do not have a sinful nature. Jesus took care of the sinful nature. And this is the confusion. Certain translations call that in sinful nature, or that's called the flesh. So sometimes you hear in a message referring to your sinful nature as a believer. That is not true. It cannot, which one is it? Which one is it? Which one is it? The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God has given you and I exceedingly good and precious promises, among which is his divine nature. So there's no such thing as Jesus and Satan living in you at the same time. Absolutely not. Because if that was the case, every time you mess up, say, Satan that made me do it. <laughs> After all, Satan and God are both landlords in my, in my house. <laughs> no. Yes, sir. No. There is the flesh and there is a sinful nature. But as a believer, you do not, I repeat, you do not have a sinful nature. And you need to be careful. This is the reason you need to use all the translations when you're studying. Now, there's no one translation that's so much superior to the other. You, you're going to find, you're going to look at all of them because at the end of the day, the message of God was inspired, but the men of God wrote them down. So as long as man is involved, there's the element of fallibility. But through study, and searching the scriptures and going to the original language, you can get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Now, I love NLT. I use it. I use it a lot. But I also recognize, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, in the context of this verse, it is not wrong. It's saying the sinful nature wants to do evil. That is true. An unbeliever who has a sinful nature, of course they want to do evil. But when you start applying this to a believer, that's where the error comes in. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because all unbelievers have a sinful nature. 
The nature they were born with was sinful. Adam's nature that we inherited was sinful. This is what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Give that to me. He said, my old man, who's the old man? My old sinful nature. Has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live, I beg, give me back the NKJV, please. <laughs> That's what I memorize. It's not that there's anything wrong with this one. <laughs> My goodness, thank you very much. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the old man is crucified. Say, the put from say, my old man is crucified. crucified. Amen. Amen. You do not have the old nature. You don't. It's important to make that point. However, you do have the flesh. And the flesh is what's tripping us up consistently. So your flesh is not your old sinful nature. What then is the flesh? You guys have my slide? Thank you. The flesh. Stop right there. Flesh is anything one has. Anything we have. That is your body, your mind, your emotions, your patterns, your heritage, or your education. Now, let let me qualify this. I am not saying that these things are bad. Do you hear what I'm saying? So the flesh is anything we all have, which is our body, our mind, emotions, patterns, heritage, education. Go on. That is outside of the divine resources. That's the catch. It's outside of the divine resources of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we depend on these fleshly resources, we are living independently from God. That's the problem. When you and I depend on our body, our mind, our emotions, our patterns, our education, our heritage, when we depend on those things as a means to be blessed, as a means to solve problems, as a means to survive, as a means to live, we are living independently of God. And the life that you and I have in Christ Jesus, we just read it, Galatians 2.20, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So the two are mutually exclusive. I cannot believe by the faith of the Son of God and yet revert back to my heritage. Which one is it? Are you going to believe Jesus or you are going to say, I'm from Africa? <laughs> Which one is it? Now, is being African wrong? No. Can God use being African? Yes. But God originates it, not you. Right. He initiates what he wants to do through your heritage. He initiates what he wants to do through your education. 
He initiates what he wants to do through your emotions. He initiates what he wants to do through your mind. He initiates what he wants to do through your body. He is the initiator. Yes, sir. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Huge. Do you see that? So this is the flesh. Now, again, remember, we are not condemning your body, your mind, your emotions. God gave them to you. He gave them for a reason. The point God is making, what Jesus is teaching us is, trust Jesus' resources. Don't trust your resources. Your resources are limited. What you know or what you are seeing is limited. How, how far can you see? So at best, you have 2020 vision. You can see this room. Can you see the forest outside from here? You don't. So God said, don't trust what you see. Don't trust what you're hearing. Don't trust what you know. Trust me. That's why God is the ancient of days. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the ending. And everything in between. Trust me. Trust me. I know. I can take it to places you, cannot, you have not even jumped off. This is the only way we can live in the spirit. To talk trust in God. Now, let me, I leave the examples on the Wednesday. I'm going to close by asking one question. If the Holy Spirit was removed from your life last week, would your life look any differently? That's why I'm going to close this morning. If the Holy Spirit was removed from your life last week, would you have done anything any differently? That's a sobering thought. And I want us to live on that thought. If your life would not be different when the Holy Spirit was removed, Something is grossly wrong. I want us to live with that awareness that the Holy Spirit came to be a helper, a strengthener, a guide. If we will not need him, he will not be called those names. Is the advocate. What does that mean to be an advocate? If you've ever been to a court of law, when you are charged, when the law charges you, what is the law? Man-made rules, man-made regulations, man-made policies. When the law, the law, the law around us, you must do this, you must do that. You must come to church nine times a week. You must fast ten days out of the month. You must not eat. You must not wear a long dress. You must not take care of your hair. You must not wear nail polish. The law, all the laws. When religion throws law at you, the Bible says the Holy Ghost will be your advocate. Amen. Jesus. Amen. I just read an article last week where a profound, highly respected national preacher said, women do not have a place in the pulpit.
And he challenged the Southern Baptist Church that they have, they have gone wrong for allowing women. And in fact, he mentioned them and he said, Beth Moore should go back home and don't teach ever again. He said it. That's religion. Throwing the law at us. Jesus said, I've sent you an advocate. Amen. Don't defend yourself. Let the advocate give advocacy for the occasion. Every head bow. Father, for the most part, most of us, most of the time, revert back to our natural human resources. When we become confused, when we do not know what to do, when we are challenged, or when we find ourselves in a trying time, our natural default is to go back to what we know best. The familiar things, the natural things. And so this morning, we say, we renounce those fleshly human resources. We renounce them. We say no to them. Through the power of your spirit, we receive and we embrace the beckoning of your spirit that saying to us, come, 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 come. So yes, we renounce the flesh and Holy Spirit, we embrace you. We embrace you. You are the one that's been sent to reveal to us the life of Christ. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, take your place. As we yield ourselves, we yield ourselves, we yield ourselves, we yield our members, we yield our heritage, our education, our mind, our emotion, our body, our patterns, all those things in us that screaming for revenge, screaming to say the last word, screaming to assert themselves, screaming to have its way, we renounce them all now. We cast them down. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love, wherein you loved us. We embrace that love now. And we thank you that in your love, we feel secured. In your love, we feel your peace. And therefore, we are not afraid of the consequence or the outcome of trusting you. And so we choose to trust you. Lord Jesus, we choose to trust you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for confirming your word in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We honor you now. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name.